You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. This is a very interesting story here in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. So if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's holy word? Let's hear what God's word says. I'm going to read down to verse 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now there's where we start to see a problem. He says that he is somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on all of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then they laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. He was always so subtle. (laughs) Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to learn from this word. We want to learn about our own hearts. And we pray, God, that your spirit, speaking through the word today, will help us see where we stand with you. God, we want to know you. I want everyone in this room to know you and have confidence of, of Lord, your presence in their heart. Lord, that is an ask, that is a request that is large. But I pray for it, Lord, That we walk from this place confident in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the word remarkable is a word that is usually used in a positive context. We could say, wow, uh, my visit to uh, Yellowstone National Park, it was remarkable. In other words, there were things that happened there and things we saw that I want to tell you about that are worthy of remark. But I want you to realize that the phrase remarkable does not have to be positive. It can just mean remarkable in the sense of pay attention, look closely. Now, we're going to look at three conversions in the next few weeks that just happen to be uh, in our line of fire here in the book of Acts. We're going to get to this, the end of this section, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk about what salvation and conversion looks like. We're going to spend several weeks talking about that, because if we are serious about reaching 8,400 plus souls and having conversations with them, at least, I want you to know we need to be solid in our understanding of the power of Jesus to save 
We're going to talk a lot about that because we believe in the power of Jesus to save. It's important for us to know that our Christianity is not just something where we say, hey, if you follow this way, you'll live a little bit better. You'll have a little bit more joy. No, what we're talking about is that we believe that the power of Jesus from the cross saves sinners from eternal death. There is much at stake here. But of these three remarkable conversions, two are legitimate. One I'm relatively clear here, and I think the text is also, that this is not a true conversion at all. The hints are everywhere. There in verse 21, there in verse 23, you see that Peter is able to look into this person's heart and realize by the power of the Spirit, he's able to look into his heart and know that something is not right. Now, God has been at work. There has been joy in the city, as we talked about last week in verse 8. Godly people like Philip, Deacon Philip, have been doing the work of the kingdom and casting out demons, and people are being saved left and right. We see that in verse 7. But I want you to realize when true power, when true spiritual power pops up, when it appears in a community, people start paying attention, and sometimes the people who are paying attention are paying attention for all the wrong reasons. Simon was a man who was paying attention for all the wrong reasons. He saw himself as a great man. He was known as a magician. Now, I know that for us in this room, we kind of think of that and go, well, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Well, I don't think it means anything different today than it meant in those days. If you go online right now, there's all these people who like to take magical tricks and show you how they're done, right? That's one of the things today that you can do. You can go see how all the magicians do their thing. Now, I think magicians don't really like that, but that's the way it is. It's usually sleight of hand. My guess is that Simon was that sort of magician, But it could be that he was perhaps in touch with darker powers, but not necessarily so. The issue here isn't about the magic, it's about the man. It's about the man and his decisions, his desires, his heart. Let me just say this, today you can put on the facade, you can do anything you want, but God knows you as the man, the woman that you are. He knows you inside and out. And what we see here is the gospel being shared. We see it being shared with everyone. I love in this text how it is so clear that the gospel is being shared with everyone. When we get into passages like Romans 10 and we hear from the heart of Paul, it's about everyone and all people getting to hear the gospel. It is our privilege to share Jesus with the whole world. Thousands of people have been saved and truly converted here in the early going in Acts. There is no doubt about it, but we have to hit a wall here, it seems. It's like the Spirit of God wants us to realize that not everything that looks spiritual is spiritual, and not all who profess Jesus have been saved by Jesus. Now that, that ought to get your attention. I know, I felt like for a minute there today that maybe the rain had lulled you to sleep, but then you started singing, and I think we're okay. But I hope that that statement I just gave you will wake you up a little bit because we need to just be honest. I think just experience what our eyes see, what our minds process. We realize that a lot of people who were raised in church and maybe even have a story of following Jesus and being baptized, we can sense that they are no longer following Jesus. This passage, in a sense, kind of fogs things up a little bit. And the word that we're going to use today and in many days in the future is this word assurance. How can we know and be assured that Jesus is inside of us? I want you to know the devil wants you to dwell in confusion. He wants you to not be sure. He wants you to live in doubt. But I believe that if we allow the scriptures to let the light of Jesus shine on us, we will see the truth and we will be able to go forward. 
This morning I want to tell you, there is Simon's way and there's the Savior's way. I want us today to make sure that we are on the Savior's way. But before we get to the Savior's way, let's look at Simon's way. And we begin with the negative here so that we can get to the positive. Amen? Now again, God is at work there in the early chapters of Acts. He is, he, the Spirit is at work and reaching people. People are turning to Jesus in droves. That was happening in Jerusalem. That was happening in Judea. And now the last few weeks we've seen that it is happening in Samaria. All this in keeping with Jesus' command in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we see that church just going out and being successful. People are turning to Jesus. Not only are individuals being saved, but what we see here is a melding of hearts of north and south. In this context, the people of Samaria had been a distant people, even though they were next door neighbors. These people in the south, in Judea, had had nothing to do with the Samaritans. But notice this, hundreds of years of fighting and disagreements melt away with the power of the gospel. Now, I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to say something here. You can have politics all day long and have hundreds of years of discord, but when the gospel starts working, all those barriers come down. The greatest force for good in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is like it. That's why we preach it, teach it, love it, share it. That's what we believe. And here in verse 12, we are told, but when they believed Philip as he preached what? He didn't preach prosperity. He didn't preach anything other than the gospel, the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they were baptized, both men and women. What the world needs today is not clever rhetoric. They need the clear gospel. I joked around a little bit last week about big words and things of that nature. Listen, friends, none of that matters. What matters is is we are clear about Jesus. We don't need fancy words. We just need faithful people. Sharing the simple truths that Jesus came and died for our sins. That's what will bring revival. That's what brought revival to Samaria. Simon's attention was garnered because he was seeing the power of God. Not only in the revival, but then he saw this laying on of hands. And remember, we are told that he himself thought of himself as somebody great. There in verse 9. Someone who thinks of themselves as great sees a power that is real. Now, let me just say this. They saw a power, he saw a power that was real when my guess is he had been tapping into powers that were not real. He'd been tricking people. He'd been making people think that he was a great guy when really all it was was he was clever and had the sleight of hand and all that stuff. But what he saw in Philip was real. And this guy wanted something real. Now, no harm in that. Here's a guy who's been fraudulent, you know, I think about the Old West and the snake oil salesman, you know, the cure-alls, you know, in the, in the cart. Kind of think of that. That's the kind of guy Simon was. But here he runs up against something genuine and he's interested. Notice this, though. Verse 13 is interesting. It says that even, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. That's verse 13. Now, I want you to notice a few things. Even Simon, that's a clue that something's different here. And then that word believed. Now, what do we do with that? A couple things. First, Luke mentions a pride problem up there in verse 9, and he never mentions a solution. Now, I want you to get this. There is belief, but there's no evidence that Simon turned from his sins. He's clearly a man of pride. 
at some point between the moment when he heard the gospel and true belief, he would have needed to admit his sins. And we know one right out of the gate. Here was a man who thought himself great. There is no mention of any conviction of sin. The second thing we notice here is this, and this is scary. Baptism itself doesn't save Simon. His later actions prove that he is not a Christ follower. So he was baptized, yes, but there is no evidence of change. Let me tell you this. Assurance of your salvation cannot be based on a single profession of faith in an altar or anywhere else or even the act of baptism. If you think that just the raw action is enough, the devil has you where he wants you. Because there is more to it than just that. Those are parts of the equation. But the heart matters also. There is no instance here where we are told that Simon, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is convicted of his sins. Instead, we are told in verses 18 and 19, he's trying to buy Jesus. He's trying to purchase, use his purchase power to get the power of God. That doesn't work. You see, Simon is following after his own heart his old ways. The way of Simon is the way of the sinful, fallen, broken human heart. No change, just the desire for more. If our actions and sinful desires are the same today as they were on the day before our conversion, then we must open our minds to the possibility that we are not saved, that we are going Simon's way not Jesus' way. Now, fortunately, we do have the Spirit of God speaking through this text and telling us what we can only guess at otherwise. We are told in verse 21, through the words of Peter, that Simon's heart is not right before God. Simon knows the name of Jesus, but he doesn't have Jesus in his heart. That's what Peter is telling us. Now, you say, well, wait a second, Pastor, this is really interesting. What do you mean? Are you saying that there are people who say they believe and have even been baptized and are not true Christians? Well, I would say yes, because Jesus says this in John 2, 23 and 24. And listen to this. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when, that's the key word, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, we are told that there were people who were impressed with the power but not truly converted. People who loved to see the signs and were all about that, but Jesus knew that they had not made commitments to him. People love power. But that doesn't mean they want to submit to the sovereignty of God. This is Simon's way. Simon's way is one in which they want the power, but they do not want to submit. Listen, if you ask the average person if they want to go to heaven, they'd say yes. But a Simon wants all the benefits of the gospel without the burdens. They want heaven without humility. They want miracles rather than spiritual mandates. And let me add one more thing. Today we see in the modern prosperity gospel crowd a propensity to want money and not morality. Simon's way is different. The way of Jesus is different. It is not about prosperity in this world. It is about faithfulness to Jesus in this world. Simon shows us a way that is the way we see many in our culture going, which is self-centered spirituality. 
But true spirituality is aimed in God's direction. In verse 24, we also see another clue that Simon isn't right. When he is convicted, and he does seem to be somewhat convicted that he's done something wrong. Notice what he says. He says, pray for me, verse 24, to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. That's not a person asking for forgiveness of their sins. That's a person saying, I don't want the punishment or the penalty. Too many people today would say, yeah, I follow Jesus. Why? Because they don't want a devil's hell. They don't want to be punished for their sins. But they don't really want to follow Jesus either. Friends, that's the way of Simon. I believe that God wants us to realize that true faith doesn't aim inward. True faith aims upward to God. True faith causes us to walk away from these sinful desires and embrace the Savior's way. Let's look quickly at what that is. What are the key components of genuine salvation? Our text and the text of Scripture will help us here. First of all, people are saved through gospel preaching. They're not saved uh, just because of a feel-good sermon or something like that. It is the gospel that saves. Look at verse 12. We are told that Philip preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is how we find the Savior's way. This good news is beautiful news because the gospel is God's love song to a sinful world. So when we think about what salvation is, it's tied to love. For God so loved the world, right? John 3, 16a. We know that the motivation that God had in sending Jesus was his love for us. That's gospel. That's good news. The gospel is all about Jesus and always in his name. Look at verse 5. We see that mentioned that Jesus is the center of the message. All throughout. Verse 12. Anytime the gospel is preached, Jesus is at the center of the message. You see, Simon was all about making his name great, but the gospel is about the great name of Jesus. Philip doesn't preach about God's power to work miracles. He doesn't preach about being wealthy and happy. He preaches the cross of Jesus Christ, and that brings us to this point. The gospel is cross-centered. If you go a little later, you'll see in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch is looking at is a passage about the passion of Christ that we see back in the book of Isaiah. So obviously we can can extrapolate from that, that when Philip was preaching to the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, the world today, they don't mind putting a cross on a necklace, but they refuse to see that the cross is the picture of God's wrath on human sin. You can go in the fanciest jewelry stores, you can go in Tiffany's, and you will see pendants of gold that are in the form of a cross, and they're beautiful, and they're expensive, but they mean nothing if we've sanitized them from the reality. If we sanitize the cross from what it means. The cross points to our sins. The cross points to his love. The wrath of God and the love of God meet on the cross. And only on the cross do we find forgiveness of sins. The other thing we see in this passage, verses 14 and 15, is that we must receive the gospel with our, our whole heart. Salvation is a work of God that we receive by faith. We don't achieve this, we receive it. It is a work of God, but we have to have the courage to admit our sins. Here's what we have to do. Our job in this is to admit our sinfulness. Then God is able to save us when we honestly admit our sinful condition. 
It is something by faith we receive by grace. It is powerful. I think it all comes, though, because of repentance. Verse 22, Peter tells Simon to repent. The only way to walk with Jesus is to turn away, to repent from wickedness and run to Jesus. Now, let me say this. We'll talk more about this in just a second. Friend, you are human, and you will have wickedness and evil all around you all the time. And sometimes you'll give in to it, and sometimes it will tempt you. Sometimes you may even take, dip your toe in it or more. But listen to this. It is important. Sin may surround you, but you must never put down your guard. You must resist it with all of your heart. We must never stop resisting sin. The only way we do that is to repent from wickedness and run to Jesus. Yes, Simon was, uh, he said to have believed. It is said that he was baptized, but there is no evidence of a reception of grace. Not one verse in this passage shows us a man changed by the blood of Jesus. Self-love and self-preservation were his ways. Verse 24, we see the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity was his soul. Verse 23, but what we do not see is the way of the master, the way of Jesus. To wrap this up, to think about what we're talking about here is we need some clarity. Which way are we on? Which path are we traveling down? Are we on Simon's path or are we on the Savior's path? Before we can be a reaching church, we need to make sure that Jesus has reached us, that we have Jesus driving everything. So what does it mean to have blessed assurance? Do you have blessed assurance? I'm going to talk about that for just a few moments as we wrap up here today, because this is the key. Some of what I'm going to say is adapted from a lovely little book called The Old Evangelicalism. That's a mouthful right there by Ian Murray, one of my favorite historians. He, has, uh, he does a, a masterful job of helping uh, a, the reader understand assurance. And so I'm going to use some of what he says today to help us along. Let's first come to terms with this. The scriptures can show us how we can have assurance of our salvation. But I want to just say this, and I'm going to say this, and I know that some of you may push back and disagree. I would be perfectly fine with a little bit of dialogue, not in this moment, but maybe sometime. I've heard some people say that you can have 100% assurance that you are a believer. And I wish I could tell you that every day, every day of my Christian life, I have never doubted. But here's the reality. The reality is because of the problem of sin in this world and the problem that we sometimes indulge in that sin, it's sort of hard to be perfect in your security. John Owen, one of the greatest theological thinkers, maybe the greatest of the last 500 years, he said this, the constant conflicts we must have with sin will not allow us to have always so clear an evidence of our condition as we would desire. Now, I think he's right. And I know that that sentence that I just read to you could be taken very negatively, but I don't want you to. I think there's actually some cause here for hope. I think this actually clarifies some things. Here's the deal. If sin is in your life and you have surrendered to it, you are in trouble. If you have no, conscience about, uh, you have no consciousness about your sin anymore, you realize a long time ago that how you're living and what you're doing and what you're saying does not honor God and you're okay with not honoring God, then yes, your heart is in grave danger. But let me say, for most of you in this room, you may have struggles in sin, but you have never stopped fighting. 
You keep praying and you keep seeking and you keep asking. You get help as much as you can. There are good days and bad days, but you are fighting the good fight. I want you to know, if that is you, then I want you to know that assurance meter goes up, up, up. Only those who don't want to fight against their sin, only those who don't care anymore about disobeying Jesus, only those people are in spiritual danger. Those of us who continue to fight with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength against the evil impulses, I want you to know that is something that you can hold on to as assurance. Oh, friends, some of us so have given in to sin and given in to trouble. Keep fighting. Let me also say this. Assurance is never going to happen just because you think of it or your heart gets strong enough to, to be confident. I believe our assurance comes from God and through the word. Let the word assure you. It will show you what it means to follow Jesus. Don't, you don't have to listen to what I say. Uh, occasionally it probably would be okay if you did, but <laughs> the word is very clear about what it means to follow Jesus. Let the word give you assurance. When you doubt, start looking to the word. Here's what I've noticed. Even sometimes randomly, I'll be struggling with a question and in my daily reading, I'll get the answer. It is an answer not from my mind. It's not an answer from someone around me. It's an answer, I believe, from God. I believe, notice this, I believe with all my heart, one of the signs of assurance that you are a believer in Jesus is that you're crazy enough to believe every word of this. I gotta tell you, I read a lot, and most of it ain't all that good. Most of it makes no sense. Most of it, when it does make sense, isn't all that edifying. But I'm gonna tell you, the word of God will never let you down. Whatever important question you have about life, the universe, anything at all, I want you to know it is in the word of God, and the answer is better than anything anybody could ever give you. I woke up one time and I just realized it was a funny thing. I've been doing this a long time. I've been preaching a long time. I just woke up one day and said, wow, I really believe the word of God. Now, I always had, but it was a, a revelation that like it was no longer even a question. There's a lot of things I doubt. I, don't, I have a lot of insecurities about myself and my energy and, and my strength inside. But I want to tell you, I have no doubt about the word of God. I have found it to be true in every instance, especially in those instances when I've not been true. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Boy, I tell you what, I think those, these verses shake us up. You, you ought to read these verses every once in a while. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. You know this one? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And I will... Declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That passage continues to grab my imagination. It reminds me that people even, not, it's not just the people in the pews, it's the people in the pulpit. The people who are preaching, giving a word of prophecy. These are people who are, are, are supposed to be leaders. And Jesus says to them, there will come a day when I say, I never knew you. You are a worker of lawlessness. You are a worker of iniquity. That is scary. Let me tell you, I don't believe you can save yourself because Jesus saves. And I'm pretty sure you can't assure yourself, but Jesus assures. Jesus will show you the way. In our passage this morning, Simon the magician put his faith in his baptism and the potential power he could glean from the Holy Spirit. 
His faith was never in Jesus alone and on the finished work of the cross. He did not look up to God for assurance of salvation. And he did not look into the word for assurance that his heart needed. But today we can look up to God. We can look into the word and we can find the way of Jesus. Let me just say. Legalism and just being good is not going to help us reach 8,400 souls. What will help us reach thousands of people in Springfield and around the world is when people around us see Jesus within us. The world needs to see more of Jesus in you, not just more of you. They need to see more than someone towing some line of morality. They need someone doing so because they are deeply in love with Jesus. We are obedient to Jesus, yes. Why? Because we love him. John 14, 20, Jesus says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So don't get me wrong here. People who love Jesus will obey Jesus. But it is the love of Jesus that the world needs to see. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Notice this, if you are a Christ follower, you will never be cast out. You can be assured of that. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you have been saved, you are a child of God. You are from God, 1 John 5, 19. You can be filled with joy inexpressible, 1 Peter 1, 8. God is at work in you. Now let me give you five things real quick here that provide some assurance of salvation. The first two are very similar, but I wanted to uh, put a little bit of a, a, difference, a difference between them. The first is this, the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. So notice this, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is within you. And the second one, the Holy Spirit indwells, same basic idea, all those for whom Christ died. Every Christian is a person for whom Christ died. And in both of those statements, I want you to see that the key is, is that the Holy Spirit is within you. So the power to do good is the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. That is one of the ways, two of the ways there that we are assured. Assurance begins with the conviction of sin. This is key. This may be what's missing most in modern preaching, and that is convincing people and convicting people of this thing called sin and that it's in their own heart. The next thing we see here is that assurance is progressive. I believe we can grow in our assurance over time. And finally, though, assurance will never be perfect but the more you long for Jesus, the more you can be assured of being his own child. Samuel Rutherford, uh, one of the, the, the old writers uh, there in, in, uh, in, in England, maybe Scotland, my mind is, is, is blanking here. Uh, he wrote a bunch of letters that are just beautiful for, for pastors to read. It's a beautiful expression of pastoring. But he uh, said this, he, he described this longing for Jesus as a hunger like you have right before supper time. Now, fortunately, you're not in the hour right before supper time, so you don't have a living illustration of this, maybe, unless you skip breakfast. But I believe a Christian, sort of, even, even on bad days, there's just a hunger inside of you that you want to know a little bit more about Jesus. But those of us who are not following Jesus, we hunger for other things. Every one of you in this room, you're hungry. 
You need to answer the question right now. But what am I most hungry for? If consistently what you're most hungry for is something other than Jesus, then friend, your assurance is on very shaky ground. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher of about 100 years ago, he said, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it will end with grace. But grace is sufficient, and it is here today. Two things before we leave. If you are saved, two things have happened. First, a change of status in the sight of God. Let me, know, I want, let, me let you know this. Christ is for you. Christ calls you his child. You need to know that. Christ is for us. A change of our nature. Christ in us. Christ is for you, but Christ is in you. That is the mark. Those are the marks of a believer. A believer is a child of God. A believer has Jesus driving them forward. A non-believer like Simon is driven by other things. What are you hungry for? What is driving you? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.